Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And I guess I will try to address tonight what is without a doubt the most controversial issue in the church today. But as we address it, I think you're going to find it's always been a controversial issue. It's been one that has confused and brought discussion, a lot of various opinions. There are really four views on this subject of divorce. One is that you can divorce for any reason at any time. Second is that you can divorce for adultery only. Third is that you can divorce for adultery and desertion. And the fourth is that there is never a reason under any circumstances for divorce. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to deal with a passage of Scripture where Jesus is dealing with a question and try to deal as compassionately as I can with this, understanding what the Word of God says and knowing that you and I, no matter how difficult, have to stand on the authority and the understanding of the Word of God, first of all. And that is our basis for our decision-making. And also knowing that we do everything we can in a compassionate way to deal with those who are going through times of divorce and separation, that we have a very large singles ministry, that we have a singles minister, that we provide a class on divorce recovery and do a lot of things to try to meet people where they are and where they're hurting. And so I hope that you hear tonight's message in light of the compassion and the desire of our heart to minister to people where they are. And at the same time, to speak to those in all stages of life, whether married or divorced, thinking about married, not even sure you want to date yet, uh, talking about this issue of marriage and divorce and how the Word of God addresses it. And so I want us to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless and use this time and to give us spiritual ears and spiritual understanding as we deal with this subject. Let's pray together. Father, there's going to be a day when there's going to be no more clouds and no more sea, no more tears and no more pain. But it will not happen in this life. And as long as there's sin in the world and as long as man has a free will, he will always find himself doing things that are contrary to your will. Sometimes there are innocent parties involved. And so, Father, I pray that the God of peace and compassion and grace would take the words of Scripture and apply them to the hearts and minds and ears of those who listen. Father, I do believe there's not a family here that has not been touched, affected, possibly torn by divorce. It has touched some with their children, it has touched some personally with their spouse, others with their grandchildren, nieces and nephews and cousins. All of us have seen what this problem can do in the life of a family. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to deal with it biblically and redemptively and in a way that pleases you. Or ask it in Christ's name. Amen. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 1. And rising up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. And some Pharisees came up to him, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. According to the World Almanac and Book of Facts, the following numbers of states consider these to be legal reasons for divorce. Bigamy, 37. Impotence, 31. Adultery, 30. Desertion, 30. Cruelty, 29. Insanity, 28. Felony conviction or imprisonment, 26. Separation, 25. Alcoholism, 23. Non-support, 17. Drug addiction, 14. And unknown pregnancy at marriage, 13. In Salem, Oregon, there is an attorney named Robert Nordyke who has taken over a vacated savings and loan building and turned it into the drive-up divorce service where you no longer have to get out of your car. You can go and through the retractable drawer in the former savings and loan, you can issue divorce papers, you can serve papers, and you can save the charge that the sheriff charges to deliver those papers. Nordic says that in the time that he has had this, he's handled 4,000 divorces and 10% of them have been through the drive-up window. He says, quote, in Oregon we have a lot of rain and some people don't want to get out of their cars and we consider it a more friendly way of dealing with serving papers. It's a lot less painful and embarrassing, plus it saves the sheriff the charge that he would make. I want to deal with tonight a subject that tests us. It says that the Pharisees came to him testing him. You and I cannot rule out the motive of the Pharisees in this question. You cannot look at this passage and not understand what, he was, what they were trying to do to Jesus. They were probing him. The word testing means that they were probing at him. It can be translated, they were jabbing at him verbally. They were trying to trap him, trying to stir up trouble. They wanted to provoke a crisis. Now, if you notice in verse 1, they had gone into the region of Judea. This was the region of Herod. John the Baptist had stirred up trouble by speaking about Herod's divorce and remarriage. And so they thought that maybe while he was in the region of Judea, if they could get Jesus to stumble, if they could trap him, then they could get Herod to arrest him and behead him just like they did John the Baptist. They wanted Jesus to get in trouble. And so they tested him. They wanted him to make a choice between the two commonly held views of that day. The first was a view held by a rabbi named Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L. Hillel said that the teachings of Moses meant that a man could divorce a woman if he found any indecency in her whatsoever. If he found anything about her that didn't please him. The Hillel school said if she didn't make up the beds right, if she didn't clean the house right, if she burned your supper, if she made bad coffee, if you just didn't like the way she looked that day, you could throw her out. You didn't have to have any reason. You didn't have to have any kind of good logical reason. You could just get rid of her. His was the drive-up window school of divorce. Hillel said, any cause, any reason. Now there was another rabbi, Shammai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I, who said that divorce was to be strictly limited and only under certain rigidly defined conditions. These two prevailing schools were prominent at the time of Christ 
and they're really no different today. I know that as speaking on this subject, I find myself like John the Baptist wondering if I will be beheaded because there's no way to win on it. There's so much confusion about it. You can find good, godly, God-fearing, Bible-believing people who will say to you that divorce is all right under certain grounds. You can find other good, godly, God-fearing, Bible-believing people who will say under no circumstances is divorce allowable. This is one of those matters of interpretation of Scripture. And so what I give you tonight, I hope is just merely my interpretation of what I believe the Word says because I think what the Pharisees were concerned with was more about the issue of divorce than the issue of the divine intention of marriage. There's a Savior that teaches us in this passage, and He teaches us two things. First of all, He goes back to Moses and how Moses handled divorce. Secondly, He goes back to creation and God's design. Jesus goes back to the time of Moses and deals with how Moses handled this issue of divorce, and then He goes back to creation. Now, pick up, if you would, in verse 3. And He answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? And they, being the Pharisees, said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Now, I find it interesting that as Jesus answers this issue, he does not answer them immediately out of his own authority. He takes them back to Moses and he upholds the authority of Scripture and the revealed Word in the first five books of the Bible. Jesus could have easily said, well, it doesn't matter what Moses said, what I said, what I say matters. But he went back to Moses, and that tells me that Jesus never supersedes the written Word of God, that he stays consistent with it or he enlightens it, and he gives the reason that Moses made the exception, and this reason cannot be overlooked. You cannot ignore the reason that Moses gave this exception. It is a vital part of the answer of Jesus. He says, Moses did it because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed divorce, which was already going on in society anyway. It was nothing new. It was a universal practice. But Moses sought to regulate it and to allow it under certain conditions. He allowed it because of the hardness of heart. As I've studied this, here's what I think that means. I think it means that the divorce reveals to the public the unrepentant attitude of at least one partner in the marriage that's been going on in private. You see, when there's a divorce, it says that somebody in that marriage is unrepentant is not willing to listen to God, not willing to allow the love of God and the grace of God and the Word of God to move and work in their lives. And because of that, they become hard-hearted. They won't get right with God. Now, Moses deals directly from the standpoint of the husband. But the phrase hardness of heart tells me the same thing that the little phrase in Scripture says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Moses allowed or permitted divorce. Because in the divorce, it would show that someone, and I remember Moses is dealing with God's people. He's dealing with the children of Israel. 
that somebody among God's people will not allow the Spirit of God to speak to them, that they've already made up their mind. And so divorce shows in public how hard-hearted the person has been in the marriage relationship. This is a vital part of the answer. The opposite of having a hard heart is obviously a soft heart. And Moses allowed this and dealt with it because husbands were treating their wives with contempt. They were finding things in them that they didn't like and they were casting them aside. The New Testament tells us in 1 Peter that we are to grant our wives honor so that our prayers might not be hindered. We are to grant our wives honor so that our prayers might not be hindered. In other words, in marriage, we work out our problems so that the world can see the power of Christ. Now, let me give you a little statement right here that I think is worth writing down. Whether you are going through a time of divorce or you've had a divorce or you know somebody that's going through it. You can survive anything you choose to survive. You can survive anything you choose to survive. Moses granted divorce because men were hard-hearted. I think if Jesus were speaking that today, he'd say they're hard-headed too. Now, in the Old Testament, when a man divorced his wife, he could not just kick her out. Moses established a requirement for how to deal with this. He made the man write out what the Bible recurs, uh, calls a certificate of divorcement or a bill of divorcement. It was a certificate, basically, of innocence of the wife. It was the way of saying that this bill was going to give people the understanding of who the innocent party was. Now, you must note about this that the bill of divorcement was not designed by God, but it was permitted by God. It was not a part of God's design. Because now, first of all, you've got to remember we're going back to Moses. Jesus, in a moment, is going to take us even further back to the point of creation. Now, this bill of divorcement had three purposes. Number one, it was a testimony to the woman, the innocent party. It was a testimony to the woman of her freedom from obligation to her former husband. It was a testimony to the woman of her freedom from obligation to her former husband. This kept her from being accused of forsaking her husband. In other words, the husband couldn't go out and do what he wanted to do and cast her out and then say, well, she forsook me. You know, she just didn't like the way I'm living, so she left. He had to give her a bill of divorcement if she was an innocent party in this relationship so that it could keep her from being accused of being the one that walked out. Secondly, it was evidence to a new husband that the woman was legally free to remarry. It was evidence to a new husband that the woman was legally free to remarry. With the bill of divorcement, the woman would be legally free to remarry. Now, we are not talking here about a court document. We're talking here about something that was aligned in Scripture. 
Today, it's just who can buy the best lawyer. That's not what the issue was at the time of the Old Testament. The issue was that the innocent party had a record that they were, in fact, the innocent party. Number three, it was for the protection of the woman's reputation, for the protection of the woman's reputation so that she would not be accused of being a harlot. It was for the protection of the woman's reputation so that she would not be accused of being a harlot. That was the bill of divorcement which Moses allowed and granted so that there was protection for the innocent party. Now the scriptures tell us something about this. And I want to just say a couple of things about our current situation and then talk about it from the scriptural standpoint. Today, one out of two marriages in America ends in divorce. The startling thing is that among Christians, it's not much better. The statistics among Christians are almost the same, that one out of two Christian marriages end in divorce. Dr. Armand Nikolai II of the Harvard Medical School said the trend towards a quick and easy divorce and the ever-increasing divorce rate subjects more and more children to physically and emotionally absent parents. And then he comes up with this statistic, which is unbelievable. The divorce rate has risen 700% in this century. 700%. Oh, we flaunt on TV people who have been married five and six and seven times because they come out with a new perfume because they leave somebody to go with somebody else. In fact, divorce has made marriage so light, it's treated so lightly, that it's like having a splinter in your leg and you cut the whole leg off to get the splinter out. It has become a quick and easy solution, so to speak, to our problems. Now, one thing you and I need to understand, at least my understanding of Scripture, is that divorce is permitted in certain situations in the Scripture, but it is never commanded. It is permitted, but it is never commanded. God never says, you must divorce that person if they do this. He says, you may divorce that person if they do this. And in every one of those situations that we'll mention in just a moment, those verbs are in a continuous action. It is not one act of adultery, one time of adultery. It is a continual lifestyle of living like that. It is a choice to live like that, not just a one-night stand that he's referring to. It is a choice of living in an adulterous relationship. God's original design was for male and female to live in a permanent and monogamous relationship. That is why he comes to the New Testament and he chooses to speak of the relationship between Christ and the church as a marriage relationship. In other words, though just as the marriage between Christ and the church is permanent, so is to be the marriage between a husband and a wife. That is God's ideal. That is the symbolism that God chooses. And so Moses permitted divorce to reveal a private problem that a man was unwilling to confess or deal with or go for counseling about it. The problem was the hardness of heart. Now, the ideal is stated in verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. 
For this cause a man shall leave his mother, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God joined together, let no man put asunder or separate. We quote these words at every wedding. Jesus goes back before the law, before Moses, before the Hebrew nation, and he talks about the dawn of creation, the first woman and the first man, and God's ideal. Now, here's the issue, and you ought to write it down. The ultimate issue is not how to get a divorce, but how to maintain a marriage. The ultimate issue from the perspective of Jesus, you see, you remember, they were trying to test him to say, how can we bail out of our marriages? These were religious people, the Pharisees. They knew the law, and they were trying to get him to choose sides, and they were trying to get him to say how you can bail out of a marriage. The issue with Jesus is not how to get a divorce, but how to maintain a marriage. And he points out three factors. First of all, he discusses with them the actions of God. The actions of God. He said God made them male and female. Distinct and different in gender. Male and female. No afterthought. There was male and female. Two recognizable people. One male, one female. God did not make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. And thank God that he did. Two distinct, physically distinct, psychologically distinct, behaviorally distinct. We are different. Men and women are different. God made us that way, and thank God that he did. Thank God that he made us different, yet we are spiritually the same. We are spiritually the same in the eyes of God, for in the eyes of God there is no male and female. So the action of God was that God made them male and female. Now here's the desire of God. For this reason a man shall leave and the two shall become one. For what reason? For the reason that they were male and female. They should leave and cleave. The reason is that God made a man and God made a woman. And they should leave and the two shall become one flesh. Now that does a couple of things. First of all, it does away with any idea of homosexual marriages. The second thing it does, it does away with anything that's related to polygamy. It does away with anything outside of the will of God is, is anything that is not one man and one woman. God's desire was that a man and a woman would get together and their marriage would be a high and a holy relationship and that they would leave their mother and father and the two shall become one. Now, here's what that says. That says that the closest relationship that you and I are supposed to have in the eyes of God is with our husband or our wife. It is to be closer than our parents or than any other physical kin. We are tied more by the bonds of marriage than we are by the bonds of blood. You and I are to leave and become one flesh. Now, I tell you, that's difficult. And there have been a lot of times when in-laws have caused a lot of problems in marriages because somebody in the marriage didn't understand that you're supposed to leave. 
Somebody said that, you know, when you get married, you ought to move 300 miles away from home. I don't think that's far enough. <laughs> I personally think you ought to be at least a two days drive because it makes everybody think about it before they come see you. <laughs> you know, you love to see them and you're glad when they're gone. And all God's people said, Amen. <laughs> well, we found something we can agree on tonight. <laughs> now, I want to give you the warning. For marriage is more, there's the third thing that Jesus says, and that's a warning of God. Marriage is more than sharing the same house and sharing the same bed. Mark chapter 10, verse 10. And in the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Now, I want us to deal with this, and I want us to talk about it. I want us to deal with it in light of the fact that every time we deal with any other subject in the Gospels, we deal with it on a comparison of what each other Gospel says. When we're dealing with the crucifixion of Christ, we look and see what Matthew says, we see what Mark says, and we see what Luke says. And when we deal with the issue of divorce, we're going to see if any other Gospels speak to this issue, and they do, and there is a difference in what Matthew says and what Mark says and I'm going to try to explain that and work through it and talk about it. He says in this verse, in verse 11, whoever divorces and marries, those two words are in the aorist tense. It means the actual release of one woman to marry another woman. Not much has changed, has it? That is still the reason that most of the world divorces today, so they can marry somebody else. They found somebody else they're interested in, and so they want to marry somebody else. So they divorce to marry another person. Now, if I can summarize this in one sentence, I'm going to do it, and, and maybe it'll help you to write it down. The marriage with the second is a crime against the first and adultery with the second. The marriage with the second woman is a crime against the first wife and adultery with the second. What God has joined together does not just refer to the wedding ceremony. It refers to all that God has been doing. And when Jesus is speaking about divorcing and marrying in this tense of the word that he uses, that they actually release their wife for the sole reason and no other purpose than to marry another person, he is saying that there's a crime committed against the first one and that there's adultery committed with the second one. Now, the issue for us is, is it right for divorced people to remarry? The issue from Jesus' perspective was, is it right for married people to divorce? We have one perspective. Jesus takes this issue from another perspective. And so we never solve a problem by trying to deal with it the way that unbelievers deal with the same problems. So we need to know what God's Word says. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 8. Matthew chapter 19, verse 8. Now there are some men that I highly respect, Christian authors who believe that there are two reasons for divorce. And they cite the 1 Corinthians passage of desertion as a reason for divorce. Some would say that that is a reason for divorce. Others would say that the word divorce is never used there, and it is not. It does say that you can separate, but it never says you can divorce 
because of desertion. Now, Matthew chapter 19, verse 8. This is the parallel passage with the Mark 10, verse 10 passage. And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, remember he's going back to creation again, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality. I think King James says fornication, doesn't it? Is that what King James says? Fornication. Except for immorality or fornication and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, when God speaks on the issue of divorce, He is not concerned about those who try to prove themselves innocent. He is concerned about the truly innocent. God's concern in the issue of divorce is those that are innocent from His eyes. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.